Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Varmt välkommen till Epic Lifestyle-podden. Det här är podden för dig som vill leva i ditt bästa jag. Sofie Resare heter jag och jag är beteendevetare och holistisk lifestyle-coach och driver företaget Epic Living Sweden. Ja, då har vi kommit fram till den fjärde och sista delen i intervjun som jag gjorde med Daniel E. Martin från Stanford University. Daniel, eller Dan som han kallar sig, han är då forskare och lärare inom Compassion. Och jag bad ju era lyssnare om hjälp med frågor till Dan. Och det kom in jättemånga bra frågor så jag är jätteglad för det. Och vi fick välja ut en del, vi kunde inte ta alla och en del frågeställningar går, går i varandra och sådär. Men den här delen, sista delen, baserar sig framförallt på frågor från Maria Drugge, Lena Berg. Annette Lindsjö, Jimmy Österholm och Gabriella Ringvall. Så stort tack för det. Ja, jag hoppas verkligen att du får med dig mycket matnyttigt från det här samtalet som jag hade med den. Så vi går över och lyssnar på den fjärde och sista delen. Then we have a whole bunch of questions from Jimmy Österholm. But we will select a few of them. Uh, and one is, um, would training empathy and compassion in school help uh, lower bullying? Mm. And um, I, I'll take the next one. So, does more meetings in real life affect compassion? Yeah. So let's talk about the, uh, the bullying uh, in school uh, perspective. So uh, there's some research out there that does suggest that perspective taking and compassion for others does reduce bullying behavior. Um, the, the really interesting thing, Sophie, from my perspective is that oftentimes um, people go about training compassion in a very um, clumsy and, and well-intended way. Um, So if we take uh, an evolutionary perspective on compassion, there's no reason to think that it's not innate. Uh, our parents took care of us, their parents took care of them, and you know, without compassion, 
uh, we wouldn't be able to collaborate. We wouldn't be able to build cities. We wouldn't be able to have the foresight that we're going to need roads that need to be repaired uh, in the winter, uh, these types of things. So we can look at this. I'm being very simplistic. Um, there's great work out there on this. Uh, again, I'll reference Paul Gilbert. But if this is something that's innate uh, and going to be represented in you know 99% of the population, it's not our job I think to tell people, hey, you know, you need to be compassionate and this is why I'm going to do this top down kind of approach. Um, the, our goal really is to give keys to the cars that people already own. So, you know, compassion is already in you. Compassion is already in me. I was raised in a society that told me that no one's more important than me. And if you get in my way, I'm going to mow you down. Uh, because I'm the most important thing and how dare you prevent me from achieving my goals and when you give people the opportunity to do what feels good and what lets them sleep well at night and what they innately want to do they don't need anybody telling them that compassion is good for them they know it is and this is why I don't really ascribe to altruism because when we talk about doing altruistic deeds, really you're feeling wonderful uh, by virtue of helping people. So you are receiving some benefit. Um, so, you know, when it comes down to it, if you give people a structure where they can consider uh, what works best for them, they'll make the right decision uh, every time. We just need to make that space available for people in schools in particular. And uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the United States, we're, we're plagued by problems of racism. And uh, it's natural for in-groups and out-groups to form, be that because of religion, because of skin color, uh, the way people dress, etc. cetera. Um, but if you give people the opportunity to understand how their identity plays a role in their own esteem for themselves and how that's really helped them on certain occasions, They'll say, yeah, I, I totally understand that. It really is important to me. I love this baseball team. I love this hockey team. It's important to my identity. And then we ask people, has it on certain occasions hindered you in terms of the way you interact with other people? And we don't need to say, hey, you're being racist. We, we don't need to say you're being a bigot or, or sexist. They come to this conclusion on their own because suddenly they realize, oh, I never even thought that this thing that was giving me uh, esteem for myself was actually hurting someone else because there has to be an other. So instead you help people focus on identities that have to do with striving and sharing. And it doesn't again have to be some hippie, you know, San Francisco 1960s approach. Uh, you can say, look, you know, in my school, my students generally are working more than one job. Their first generation is the most diverse school in the United States, and they're struggling so hard. If we give them a social identity of, hey, look at everyone around you. They're struggling just as hard as you. Wouldn't it be great if you collaborate and everyone could achieve this superordinate goal, which is graduating and getting a great job that they want? And suddenly they say, oh, wow, I didn't realize that that was even something that we can do. And I'm not putting words in their mouth. I'm not saying you're a bad person. This is what you need to do. Instead, you're saying, here's some space. Explore these issues. 
I don't need to give them the answer. The answer is already in them. Uh, so it's this really wonderful thing where they get to own the answer. It's not coming from you know Dan Martin or, or Sophie. It's coming from themselves. So they really uh, ascribe to this. It's, it's concretized through their vision, uh, through their lenses, and through their experience. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, we can. And let me say also uh, that Phil Zimbardo, uh, very famous from the Stanford Prism experiment, spent the majority of his life studying how situations uh, create people who do evil things. Uh, he's always been a strong proponent of the situation's impact on people and trying to understand how we can prevent those situations from turning people into you know, evildoers, we might say. Yeah. Maybe 10 years ago, he started really focusing on the other side of this and said, okay, <laughs> we can make people bad and, and people turn to, you know, terrorists and lone shooters and criminals all around the world. What can we do to prevent those things? So Phil came up with something called the Heroic Imagination Project. And he's pulled a, a bunch of great components of social psychology and we've uh, shifted that into the Bright City platform. And the great news is he's working with students all around the world uh, in terms of helping them make better decisions to prevent bullying, to prevent becoming someone who's swept away by the situation, and they can become everyday heroes, people who, when the time is right, can make a small difference uh, and not shy away from doing what they want to do anyways. So it's beautiful work. Um, I should also add <laughs> that you know what happens when we are violated what happens when we're bullied what happens when we go through divorce what happens when our friends reject us or we don't get the promotion that we want oftentimes we're full of rage we desire revenge we feel bad about ourselves and we lack the capacity to let go so i'm so excited to be working with uh, dr fred luskin uh, of the Stanford Forgiveness Project to look at the other side of the equation in terms of maybe bullying. Um, it, this is not for the individual who did the bullying. This is for the individual who was hurt, uh, created you know, uh, a grievance uh, in themselves to let go of that poison because the poison is hurting themselves and is preventing people from moving forward. It's quite a challenge, but if we think about how many times maybe we feel like we've been wronged in our lives, it's a really potent way of addressing uh, problems that will crop up at home and uh, in the workplace so people can move forward. Yeah. Sorry, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. It's great. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> oh, the, the, the more in real life meetings, uh, will it affect uh, compassion? Yeah, and again, all these questions, I want to thank your network because they're great questions. Uh, it's awesome that you have uh, brought together so many fantastic people. It's a reflection of your excellence uh, <laughs> yourself. Um, I think this goes back to what we were talking about in terms of the many doors. Um, so from, from my perspective, there's nothing better than sitting down with someone and, and, and being able to really tap into all the channels of communication uh, that we have as human beings 
sight, hearing, touch, uh, you know, everything that, that we, we get out of that experience. Um, but I don't want to say that that's maybe the place to start with some people. For some people, that's going to be great. Uh, and I would say, you know, when, when Sophie is in town giving a workshop, you know, that's a great place to be. If somebody might feel nervous about expressing themselves or maybe feel vulnerable, maybe the first place to start is, is another place. Um, so again, for me in a perfect world, I would love to take all of these great tools that we've developed and explode them uh, and just have meetings face to face. <laughs> but you know, we have these multinational corporations where it's hard for people uh, yeah. to be face to face. And because of the crazy pace of modern society, uh, it's important to give people opportunities to be able to meet at their convenience. Uh, yeah, definitely would be preferred to be face to face. And one thing that we find is that the people who go through our programs desperately want to meet each other after they're finished. Mm -hmm. I, like, I just got to give you a hug, you know, and they just want to shake hands. They just want to acknowledge each other as a full person. So I would say, you know, in, in my, from my perspective, I'd love to have everybody be able to get together around the world. Um, but, you know, having multiple doors to that is, is really important too. So I hope that answered that question. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Great. Thank you. And... Uh... Mm. What would you say uh, is the worst environment for the ability to, to develop a, a higher compassion? That's a question from Maria Drugge. Yeah, wow. It's a heavy, <laughs> heavy question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take a shot at it. And again, uh, there's probably better stuff out there. Um, I'll, I'll take this through the lens of uh, equality and inequality. So first, uh, to all your brilliant uh, listeners, I would definitely recommend a great book that looks at inequality in society. Uh, it's called The Spirit Level, and it has nothing to do with spirituality. It's all about uh, the demographics and epidemiology of equality. It's written for, for lay people, so dummies like me can understand it. Uh, it's really just a quick read and, and very incisive in terms of looking at the difference between nations uh, in terms of equality and health and, and life outcomes, and as well as states within the United States. Um, so when we think about uh, environments that are, are not going to facilitate the development of compassion, you're thinking about environments where people are treated quite poorly, where people don't have opportunities, where, where life is, is cheap, um, crowded, uh, potentially environments where people are replaceable. And, you know, I'm a business professor, so I'll, I'll talk a tiny, tiny bit about where we're moving 
in terms of relationships with with work as employees. Um, human capital is a really important concept for us to use in terms of understanding the needs of organizations, uh, the kinds of technical skills that we're going to need as we you know, move into future-oriented positions. But it's also kind of dehumanizing. And when we look at the replaceability of people, remember I was talking about the granularity of jobs and, and job skills. This is great stuff. You can help people a ton, but you can also replace people really rapidly if you have a list of people who have the same competencies. It becomes plug and play to a certain extent. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into great work, like organizational citizenship, behavior, and compassion, the kinds of things that we're talking about. But the, the really interesting thing is as we move towards these relationships between employers and employees, where there's no expectation of loyalty, where it's expected that you'll only be there for a year or two years, it changes the dynamic around um, the development of compassion. If I know that I'm only going to be with somebody for a day, then it's to a certain extent negating their humanness because I can't spend time investing my emotional labor uh, in them. Similarly, if you look at uh, you know modern approaches towards uh, let's say dating, uh, this is really interesting. I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying we really need to consider what it's like to have a never-ending stream of people that you might want to spend time with that you're going to only invest a tiny bit of time in to establish whether or not you want to go any further. And even then, you realize there's a whole supermarket of other people just waiting for you to turn on your telephone or, or your computer to access. So as we become more accessible, we are also losing uh, this, this deeper appreciation of the other as a full human being who has feelings that are like ours or who may be going through circumstances or situations that we sympathize or empathize with. So, you know, again, uh, every time new ways of doing things emerge, there's a catch-up period, uh, be that in the law or be that in terms of understanding the psychological consequences. So I would say that, um, you know, doing your best to humanize your environment and to recognize people for the whole person they are uh, is going to become important. Work is work, and we don't go to work to make friends. Uh, it's wonderful when we have great relationships at work, but even there, there are limitations. So we need to find a, a strong balance between having structures that are compassionate uh, and recognize people. Um, so for example, um, you know, we have uh, compassion funds in the United States in organizations where people will chip in and you know, people's parents die, people get sick, people have to pay for operations, kids have problems. So this is what this is, is used for. It doesn't change the relationship between the worker and the, and the organization, but organizations that don't have this and treat people as being replaceable aren't going to fully benefit from the investment of the individual in the organization. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, a broad uh, swath of <laughs> perspective, and I hope that's a good starting place for your, your uh, listener. Definitely, thank you. And uh, Gabriela Ringwall, she, she uh, wonders, uh, how, how can we have the power to salute ourselves for practice, practicing the slow life or <laughs> instead of 
the speed life. I mean, we have mm. so much, uh, so many targets, and uh, you know, every day. So, uh, how can we get that power? Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll go back to finding what works for you, and uh, that could be walks in nature. Uh, that could be practicing an instrument or um, uh, a martial arts. Uh, that could be being with your children, you know, in a, in a particular way, you know, sharing things with them. It could be yoga. It could be uh, any practice. Um, I would say that uh, there's a lot of evidence, good evidence for, for meditation, for yoga, for qigong, uh, for these, these practices where people over time did what felt great and had long-lasting consequences. I think a lot of us are, you know, we come from scientific cultures that demand a lot of evidence. And, and what we're really finding is that there is substantial evidence for these things. There's reasons why people pose the same way uh, as they move towards more spiritual uh, practices is because they feel more spiritual they feel more connected when they're moving in a particular way so when we pray when people pray they pray the same in almost every religion when people uh, genuflect to uh, a god or a spirit or to gods uh, they're usually doing it in the same way and i'll encourage your listeners uh, to look into steve porges uh, polyvagal theory and steve uh, gave a great talk maybe a couple of years ago, 2014, on uh, the technology of compassion. I was talking about my technology platform, and he was talking about the innate technology in ourselves and how various spiritual practices give us these emotional and spiritual experiences that we pursue. Um, so, so I'd encourage people to take a look at those things. I wouldn't dare uh, tell anybody what's right, but uh, there's a lot of wisdom out there, but don't be, uh, you know, you are your own guru is what I would tell people and do what feels right for you. Um, too often we have people just competing. Uh, yeah, I'm better at yoga than you. Yeah, I reached a higher level of Qigong than you. Um, that's not the point, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, we're prone to be competitive. We're prone to socially uh, compare. Um, but for, for this, carve out some time in your day. Um, a simple thing, do a time diary. Uh, this is something that'll make that space available for you because when you start to realize how much time you're looking at your phone, for your emails, for your text, for your WhatsApp, uh, you suddenly realize I didn't get anything out of that and it just was spinning my wheels. So instead of doing that, let me just get 30 minutes so I can start looking at options. Let me expand that to an hour and start a practice. If it's the right one, awesome. If it's not, let me use that hour to find something else. Uh, do it with a friend. Recognize the limitations of introspection. Sorry, I'm a weirdo this way. Um, I would argue that we're so jam-packed full of biases that it's really hard to meditate. Uh, the second I start to try to meditate, I'm like, does my hair look good? Uh, is my pose right? thinking about all kinds of weird things that have nothing to do with just being at peace. <laughs> so my insights into myself usually come from sitting down with a close friend, 
somebody that I love and, and opening up. And sometimes this even happens on airplanes with strangers, right? Start a conversation with somebody, and you give them your deepest, darkest secrets because you know you're never going to see them again. Yeah. Suddenly you realize, wow, thank you so much, person whose name I don't know. Have a good trip. And you're, <laughs> you're walking the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great advice or several great advices. <laughs> uh, Liana Berry is wondering, um, up till the age of three about, we, we have the, um, a natural way of co giving co compassion and sharing. And after yeah. that, we divide ourselves into groups and become more competitive and so on. Um, can we, can we stop that in some way as a parent? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And as a parent myself, uh, I wish I had a concrete answer, right? <laughs> you can take as many developmental psychology classes as you want and your kid is always going to be different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say that probably exposure uh, to people as, as real human beings is going to be your best approach. Now, um, Sweden is becoming, uh, much more of a multi, uh, much more of a heterogeneous society. Uh, you know, Sweden proportionally, I don't need to tell you, is taking more refugees than any other European country. Um, and it's really interesting because as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that Swedish cultural identity, uh, obviously it's not monolithic, it's a very diverse you know, cultural identification on its own, but when you're exposed to something new and something different, suddenly you start considering your own culture. So what, is it, what does it mean to be Swedish? We, we've just been Swedish and there's a broad range of being Swedish, but suddenly there's this new thing in your environment and it challenges uh, expectations and you know, what's right and what's wrong in a multicultural society. So, you know, from my perspective, uh, exposing children to people as human beings, not just the food, not just the dress, but, uh, you know, my kids, uh, they came to Sweden in 2016, and we made sure that they had the opportunity to go to a Swedish school for a day. And uh, they had such a great time because they got to meet, you know, real kids their age, and oh, they're just like us. Um, there's some things that are different. Lunches in Sweden are free. You can drink as much milk as you want. <laughs> really impressed my 11 year old. Um, and we did the same thing with Ulf's uh, son, uh, Alvin, great kid. He went to uh, my daughter's middle school and he had a great time. And all the kids, you know, they were thrilled because, he, yeah, at first he was just this blue and yellow flag. Uh, but then he became Alvin. He's like a real guy. He's not a representative of Sweden. He's just one individual uh, who can kind of expand their understanding that all humans are very similar, 99% uh, similar. Mm. That's hard to do, uh, and you can't do that all the time. Uh, but, you know, as, as kids travel more, um, as our our countries become more diverse or are there parts of our country that are more diverse, you know, having opportunities to share that with your children uh, is probably going to help them. And, you know, Swedes are, are remarkable folks and their English is 
better than mine. And thank you, my Swedish is terrible, uh, for doing this podcast in English. But um, that magical tool of English uh, enables them to really be globetrotters and interface with people from, from all over the place. So uh, that's, you know, and understanding compassion. And, and that starts with oneself because kids blame themselves really early for all kinds of things. So my daughters, uh, my, yeah, my eldest, excuse me, when she was 13 years old, went through the compassion skills training with a medical doctor in her, well, I don't want to say what she listens to this, a little bit, a medical doctor, we'll just say that. Um, and, you know, the problems that the medical doctor faces in the halls of hospitals or working with her clients are very different in scope to the problems that my daughter was facing, you know, on, on the, the playground of the middle school. But from an interpersonal perspective, they're exactly the same. And the way that compassion helps to address these things really help them both in terms of dealing with popularity and dealing with the pain of working with people who are in their worst circumstances, being in the hospital or, or being sick. Mm-hmm. So it was really fascinating to see that, yeah, I think this stuff is pretty innate. And while our stories may be different, uh, the, the feelings, the emotions, the experiences we have draw us together when we're able to share. Mm-hmm. So doing that with kids, uh, in that multicultural context, or importantly, just across, uh, you know, people within their environment. And we talk a lot about diversity and we, you know, what comes to mind is, is race, ethnicity, culture. But when we think about our own families, there's so much diversity. You know, we were raised uh, with brothers and sisters who are so different from, and we, you know, the social psychology of group differences is that, there's more differences within groups than there are between groups, if that makes sense. And that's kind of a strange thing to think about, but when you think about how diverse Sweden is just in Swedes, it makes a good deal of sense. It does. Great. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you very much. Would you like to add something um, before we wrap up? <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to apologize to your listeners for talking so much. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity so much, Sophie. And, uh, you know, I recommend that if people are interested in this material, uh, don't hesitate to stop by the brightcity.com website. Um, and as usual, you know, whenever I have the time, I'm always happy to respond uh, to, to questions. I have a very limited scope of expertise uh, but I'm, I'm happy to point people in some great directions. Maybe uh, some resources could be uh, Paul Gilbert's Compassionate Mind Foundation. Lots of great stuff there. Uh, the website for CCARE, which is the Center for Compassion, Altruism, Research, and Education. Definitely like to recommend the Greater Good uh, Center over at Berkeley, uh, UC Berkeley, uh, across the bay from me. And um, there's lots of good work being done at Karolinska Institute as well. And we're starting to see a lot of universities move towards this. Those people who are interested in compassion in the workplace, let me recommend, excuse me, recommend Jane Dutton's uh, Compassion Lab website as well. And, uh, you know, it's very easy for us to apply the learnings of, of all these folks through our platform. So folks are interested in 
workshops, be they uh, live or, of course, in a much easier fashion through our peer-to-peer -peer approaches. Uh, just let me or Ulf or anybody know, and we'll be there. <laughs> Great. And you have your profile on uh, LinkedIn as well? Oh, my gosh. Hey, my dear colleagues, listeners, brilliant listeners of Sophie's podcast, do link in with me. Uh, I would love to hear about your successes and your interesting perspectives on compassion in your workplace uh, and in your lives. So that would be fantastic. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you have also uh, videos on YouTube? Yes, of course. They all make me look chubby, but hey, you know, it's what we got. Uh, so, yeah, you can find those. Just look up. Uh, Daniel Martin, uh, usually compassion. There's a French bicyclist named Daniel Martin and a magician named <laughs> Martin. So you need to take a little bit of scrolling, but I'm uh, I'm out there. I found you, and oh. I saw some articles that you have written uh, on the Huffington Post as well. So, yep. Uh, so I write a lot of blogs that are you know written for the layperson, uh, and I write a lot of scientific literature for those of you who just can't fall asleep uh, one night and need some extra help. Uh, very boring, but uh, interesting if you have the background. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank oh, it's my pleasure, Sophie. Thank you so much. I really look forward to hanging out the next time I'm in Sweden or uh, when you are in the Bay Area, please do stop by. Uh, we'll go have Fika and a yeah. wonderful afterwards. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Stort tack för att du har lyssnat idag och jag önskar dig en riktigt epic vecka och en riktigt glad påsk. Den kommer ju snart. Må så gott. Tack, hej! catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.